Good afternoon. You are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now with me, your host, Anna Gammons. This is the show where we explore art from the past and art from the present to understand how we as humans have expressed ourselves through time. Now, this is an unusually late broadcast because we will be discussing topics and using some language on the show that some listeners may find offensive. But a big welcome if you are still up and listening. You are the lucky ones who get to listen to what I believe is an incredibly honest and important discussion with artist Charlotte Westmoreland Stubbs, where we cover a broad range of topics from motherhood, mental health to sex work and empowerment. It is called Nasty Women, which was the name of one of Charlotte's past exhibitions, which we discuss in our interview. Now, usually I do a bit of an intro to the topic with some of my own research, but I was editing this episode and I could not bring myself to cut any topics out. So I am going to delight you this evening with the full version and then if we've got time we're going to do some art in the news so let's dive right in here is the lovely and very very talented charlotte westmoreland stubbs enjoy so i'm here with charlotte westmoreland stubbs who is a canadian british artist hi charlotte hi anna how are you i'm very well thank you good so why don't we talk about the basics how did you become an artist i'm a self-taught artist mm-hmm. um my grandmother and my great-grandmother were painters and my oh, mother's an artist as well very cool so yeah <laughs> it is but it's something that i um rebelled against completely I didn't want to be an artist I, uh, at all. I focused on the sciences for quite a long time. But um, so being that it's in my blood, I'm completely self-taught. Uh, yeah. With the exception of a Saturday class I did at the Slade School of Fine Art. Amazing. Yeah. Yep, I know it well. <laughs> it's, it was it was really, really lovely. Because mm-hmm. um, it was more of a technical course, kind right, of learning okay. how to mix paint and make colours and create compositions, sure. which were the things that I really had no clue mm-hmm. about. I mean, I used to just mix my paint on the canvas yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. You learn the tools to kind of buttress your creativity and, and exactly. No, I really I really I really enjoyed it and um but everything else has been kind of more kind of cathartic. Mm-hmm. Um create by being thrown in the fire mm, amazing I like yeah. the way you said that <laughs> can you describe your practice a little bit for the listeners because as I said it's a it's not a visual platform so it's kind of hard to sometimes imagine what it is that you do and your work is so bold and colorful so my work is big yeah um most of it is much bigger than me I have um really large pieces that I'll often have to get up on a ladder to um create <laughs> um so really big and really colorful I have just an obsession with color um bright colors really appeal to me mm-hmm. a lot of it's um fairly political i guess yeah. um i've often tried to make really pretty things mm-hmm. but that's just not my nature right. so i've had to just kind of finally admit that no this is i make things <laughs> that look quite angry sure. and quite vivid yeah. um and quite passionate you yeah. could say um it's not photorealist by any means so often when people ask me what kind of art it is i struggle with that because it's not kind of abstract. You can tell what things are, but it's certainly not mm. photorealist. Um, it's certainly not figurative. Mm. Um, in one series I did, you know, all the women were bald with huge alien heads. So um, I do paint a lot from my imagination. 
I'm sitting in Charlotte's studio now and we're kind of surrounded by, there's these massive canvases. There's also this kind of mix of posters, political posters, which we're going to talk a little bit more about. Mm -hmm. There's also some neon, uh, I would, they're almost sculptural, would you say they're yeah, installations? Yeah, sculptural? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, which we're going to, which we're going to touch upon, but yeah, there's, there's an eclectic mix of really bright and colourful things, which is just wonderful to be in here when I'm talking to you. Let's talk more about the fact that your work is very political. What events uh, or experiences have inspired that in your work? Um, I think the first foray into that was as a child growing up, there was the AIDS crisis in the mm -hmm. 80s, which mm -hmm. impacted my small religious industrial town mm -hmm. really heavily. And the Berlin Wall coming down. Of course, yeah, 1989. I remember as a child just watching the news Amazing. and getting just goosebumps because yeah. Although I didn't fully understand all the politics behind it, I mm. just knew it was such a pivotal moment mm. in history. Mm. Um, and then um, fast forward a few years and the, uh, the Gulf Wars started. Mm. And this would have been my first kind of being present, watching a war unfold. Mm. Um, and it was all heavily televised. Uh, also, I think that summer, Depeche Mode and New Order both released fantastic albums that many a teenage girl loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember Depeche Mode did this one song. I can't remember the title, but there's a line in it, and it's like, I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think that God has a sick sense of humor. Ooh. And, like um, <laughs> and so I yeah. think I had to take an art class. I didn't want to take an art class. My form of rebellion as a teen was mm -hmm. not doing art. Mm -hmm. And being in a religious home, you know, discovering Sartre and Baudrillard. And um, so I was really pushing against that grain. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to take one class, art class, because it was just mandatory. Mm -hmm. And so I took this one art class and I constructed this huge wall brick by brick and put different images of um, soldiers dying or people getting murdered and maimed with mm -hmm. each brick. And then on top of it, I spray painted a Genesis quote um, that was so God created mankind in his own image in the image of God he created them and um, sure. because that's just something that kind of came to my little teenage mind yeah I didn't realize it was that political I was just feeding back into something that I thought would be made sense interesting to, to make and, sure. and I remember they um, they displayed it in the library and I was like oh wow they like <laughs> it um, so then oh, after that I didn't um, I didn't kind of touch art again mm -hmm. uh, for a while and then, but then in the 90s, I went to Vancouver Film School. Right. And um, it's in an area of downtown east side Vancouver, which mm -hmm. is very notorious. There's a street called Hastings Street, which um, Gaber Mate, who writes all about addiction, yes. um, had a clinic there. Yeah. Downtown east side is absolutely notorious. Um, and in the 90s, it was notorious for crack and heroin. Mm -hmm. And the levels of poverty around... Um, that were really completely because of either poor mental health or drugs mm. um, were just astounding. So our school was on this kind of corner in between the tourist area, you know, with all the fancy restaurants and mm. the steam clock, which I still don't know why is a tourist attraction, <laughs> and all this degradation. Mm. And so... Um, escorting wasn't really frowned upon in Vancouver. So it was a very common thing. Um, it was everywhere. It was, it was rampant. Right. And so but what I saw was in the kind of, in the press, women were talked about a lot really poorly. Mm. Like, um, I remember that one time there was an ad in, in the paper saying, some, it was advertising leather jackets saying, you know, cheaper than like two hookers. 
And one, I was shocked that they'd use the word hooker to describe sure. sex workers in, like, in a provincial paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a commercial advert, which is disgusting. It was just, it's like, it, no, it's appalling. It was so dehumanizing. And also at the time, um, the man was caught two years ago, but there was a serial murderer out who was killing women in Vancouver. Yeah. And, but because a lot of these women were natives or were sex workers, nobody batted an eyelid. You know, living there and going to Vancouver Film School, I started kind of painting again because I was working in a lot of like uh, tech stuff. Um, and I did a whole series about women and, you know, women that were sex workers and, and life from their point of view. So I kind of got back into it again and um, yeah, and it's continued on from sure. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your uh, Protesters and Pussies series, yes. uh, in brackets, cats. Um, <laughs> what was the inspiration for that? Because that's really kind of renowned piece. Um, pieces. I think for the cats, that was when I went to the Slade. Mm -hmm. And this, it was long enough ago where there was still this kind of, I probably wasn't on Facebook yet. Mm -hmm. So my interpretation of the internet, of this amazing tool we had, mm -hmm. was mostly of people posting photos of their cats mm -hmm. and this very kind of, divisive, these very kind of divisive political themes. The Slade was when I first started doing these really massive pieces because the uh, the studios in the Slade are huge. Mm -hmm. You have these like 20, 30 foot ceilings. And I think um, I just had a son and I've been painting in this, um, my painting area at home was literally in the recycling hallway. Mm -hmm. So I could paint kind of big, but I yeah. could literally only step back 12 inches. Yeah, that was it. Which is definitely not enough. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so I think once I had this large space, I wanted to fill it. So yeah. the cats for me, and I did them in red because red's a very political color. Totally. If you, regardless of what you, if you associate it with communism or socialism yeah. or, you know, women, it's, it's a powerful color. Yeah, yeah. And I do well, the these... color of sex workers as well, um, traditionally. So that's yeah, yeah, the scarlet letter. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, the cat has this kind of arm up in defiance. Um, and so I started that with a series of those. Mm. Um, initially, the cat um, was with this really cute kitten that was looking at an image of itself hanging itself. But over yeah. time, that was a bit too dark to put on a t-shirt. But, you know, I just had a child. I was never sleeping. Yeah. Um, yeah. As you things know. Things got kind of crazy. Yeah, things got <laughs> kind of crazy. So I really, you know, and I got some really good feedback from the cats. And um, I think mostly because I wasn't, I was so uncertain about them in the beginning. Um, yeah. And then uh, also during that time, the London riots happened mm -hmm. and Which, I think this was at the time where it seemed in my opinion that Islamophobia was definitely on the rise mm -hmm. you know it, it seemed that there was something more in the air sure. um this and that's why in the in the second um protesters and pussies um uh series I put a lot of the wording in Arabic right right to mm -hmm. prove not to prove a point but people react differently and even if the words were amazing mm -hmm. um and then so that's how that kind of started. And it was kind of in 2015 when um, it became apparent that Trump was actually potentially a candidate. Mm -hmm. um, and having lived in the United States at certain times of my life, I was surprised, but I wasn't. You, you've often spoken as well, you know, you've spoken to me, you speak publicly about the fact that your nightmares have had a really um, strong impact mm. on the work you produce. I'd love to talk a bit more about that because... Yeah, um, I started getting nightmares when I was about seven or eight, mm -hmm. out of nowhere, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think part of it's having a vivid imagination, mm -hmm. part of it was being a fairly anxious child. Um, 
So my nightmares and my ways of dealing with them, I'd often draw them out or paint them mm. um, as a way to get them out of my head. Uh, and then Quite a clever way to uh, process things, I would say. But then over the years, unfortunately, nightmares became kind of like hallucinations. Right. You know, and um, after, after my son was born, um, we had a really challenging time. Mm. He was born with special medical needs. And we were in the hospital a lot. Like a week wouldn't go by that we weren't in A&E or we'd be in for 30 days at a time. And I think after about four or five years of this, you know, the doctors kept trying to meet, trying to get me to go on antidepressants. And I didn't want to, whether it was the stigma or I just didn't think I needed them. But I mean, at one point I had the voice of, um, he's fantastic, who is he? Frankie Boyle constantly running through my head, like this Frankie Boyle narrating oh my God, all the people. <laughs> I know. Hey, I'm so confident by anyone. Confidence coach. Um, and so at that point, I think, okay, something has to happen because it was at a point where I could no longer make a basic decision. And I remember there was this moment where I had to decide whether or not to sell this Thomas a tank engine scooter, and it seemed like the most biggest decision. Whereas yeah. in the hospital, we've had to decide pretty life-changing mm -hmm. surgeries. Mm -hmm. You know, we've had to make these life-changing decisions yeah. Yeah. under such duress. Yeah. That I could do, but I don't know what we're having for dinner. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It was too much. So, oh, but the, the thing is... Such an anxiety-inducing um, So experience. when they did put me on antidepressants, it got rid of Frankie Boyle's voice, mm -hmm. but then I was getting hallucinations constantly. Right. I was seeing dead homeless people everywhere. And the difficulty with being a mother, and I know we might touch on this later, Yeah is there is this idea of being a perfect mother, mm -hmm. you know, which is a fallacy. And it, it, it takes away authenticity in, in an adult-child relationship. Yeah. But I was terrified that if I said anything, they'd take my child away. Yeah. And even yeah. though it's really, and I would not advise to anyone to come off, you know, medication that's been prescribed, for me, it was at a point where I was going mad. And I'm yeah. like, this was supposed to, okay, Frankie Boyle's voice is gone, but now I have mm -hmm. homeless dead people everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I still get nightmares, yeah. you know, even last night. And it's just one of those things, everything's fine, but mm -hmm. I think I have a very, very vivid yeah. imagination. But it makes for great content, so yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> You made the decision to translate your work into fashion. And yes. I would love to talk a bit about that as well because your designs are on these incredible t-shirts. Yeah. Um, I think when I started, you know, like I started only taking myself seriously, you know, gives me the willy saying it, but I have to say it um, as an artist only like five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think t-shirts are an excellent way to get your work out there. Mm. And if anything, I want to get my work out there. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel that art should be far more accessible sure. to far more people. Mm -hmm. um, and I do just love a t-shirt. Um, I love painting on clothes. My clothes are often covered in paint. Um, I've been trying my hand at getting, doing some more recycling, like, um, and painting on my own clothes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, to create yeah, yeah. new things, because I think and more and more people are so conscious of the fashion industry and not wanting to buy new products just because totally. of the ethics involved. Um, Absolutely right. So, yeah, I do yeah. love a t-shirt, and if I could have, like, an international t-shirt brand made with, you know, ethically sought products where everyone was paid really well, that would be fantastic. That would be the dream. <laughs> so, 11 years ago, you had your son. Yes. And um, this has had a huge impact on you as a person yeah. in your work. How has it kind of changed your perspective on things and your artwork? And, you mm. know, and I'll never... And I'm not saying it to kind of give 
either himself or myself a label. Mm. But because he was born with special medical needs and he was very ill mm-hmm. for a very for a sustainable amount of time. He's he's great now. We have blips once in a while, but it drove spending long term in a hospital ward mm. kicked a level of empathy into me that mm. I never knew possible. Right. Um there is something about being around incredibly sick children that is the most humbling thing in the world. And the parents that I met in that, and you would have these brief conversations and it was so powerful and we'd empower each other because you didn't have to say much to know exactly what you're all going through. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other hand, so how it changed is before I had a child, I'd read up on um, I do like my research. Mm-hmm. I read all about all these different female artists that had had children. Mm-hmm. And the biggest takeaway was time and inspiration. They all yeah. said, forget about ever having the time when you're inspired ever again. Ooh. Those things no longer exist. Sure. The idea of not being able to create when you're inspired, what it, what it does is it means you create your own inspiration. Mm-hmm. So inspiration, you know, let's say great inspiration. Mm-hmm. How often does that really come? Yeah. Right. But if you're there and you show up and you're present and you're working often just the act of creation will create that sure. element of inspiration. Yeah, you know, yeah, it doesn't yeah, come yeah. when you're like sitting doing nothing. Yeah. But then that said, I've had some of my best ideas literally mm. waiting at a bus stop. Yeah. So and a bit of documenting as well, which I've seen. Yeah. Charlotte I have, yeah. That's it. Well, you've got to yeah. write it all down thing kind of with the mothering thing is it's it's made me so much more disciplined Mm. because your time is so finite you know that you have to be able to kind of slot all these things in and there's absolutely no room for if you know if I don't feel like it on this one day a week Mm. well that's it yeah that's I won't get another chance but also it's fighting this idea like so I brought up this stuff with my son having special needs because part of me missed out on a lot of the perfect mothering that is expected of many mothers. Right. Which I saw myself and a lot of friends go through. There's such pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's pressure on women for everything. Yeah. Anyway, you know what I mean? This isn't, yep. this isn't like, <laughs> oh, this is the only area they're pressurized. No, no. You know, and I... Um, get to redefine your identity as a mother well, in that absolutely, way. Like, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, I was working doing documentary films before I had my son and the company I worked with. It was a charity. They were amazing. They were going to build a nursery at work. For when I needed to be there yes. and then I was going to edit films at home and then you know the old adage man plans god laughs <laughs> that was it I yeah. suddenly had to be a stay-at-home mom which yeah. was never in my plan I was going to take 12 weeks off I was going and yeah. so I had to suddenly look at my own prejudices against stay-at-home mothers yes. because I suddenly was one yeah you know and yeah. one and I was one not out of my own choice yes um and so then you witness this, not only my internal prejudices mm-hmm. that I, and that's another thing, I think becoming a mother, I realized how much of, how much of my own internal misogyny mm-hmm. I had. How the pressures are also coming from you rather yeah. than society. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. They're inbuilt in us from a very young age. Yeah. So and so that took a huge amount of unpacking. Sure. Um, and then looking at the mums that would work and that didn't work and that almost every single decision you made, mm. even if it was the right decision for you, someone would tell you you're yeah. wrong. And it comes with a whole bag of guilt. Yeah. Mothering has made me, being a mother has made me a better person. Mm-hmm. It's made me 
it's forced me to be more authentic with myself because I realize, you know, that ideas don't give up because someone else is always watching. What I do will influence how my son sees women. Mm -hmm. And yes, I have to be authentically myself. Yeah. So we're very, we're very open communication family. We have to be, you know, for a variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was the thing with motherhood is that you do get it wrong. Mm. But then I often think the things that he's probably going to talk about in therapy are the things I haven't even thought of yet. <laughs> you know? Oh, there will always be. This is the There's thing. always going to be there something. There will always be things. You can do everything perfectly yeah. to, to whatever standard you think you've, you know, you've set yourself. There will always be things that will not be perfect. So you've had some incredibly exciting exhibitions that have concentrated on some of the important issues that we've spoken about. Which have been your most fulfilling a favorite memorable I think the uh the most memorable one would have been the uh, nasty women one mm-hmm. and that was in 2016 mm-hmm. and that was curated by Paige Megan Davey mm-hmm. and Rajan Beatty and um Paige was a friend of a friend mm-hmm. and had seen the posters that I'd done uh the protester mm-hmm. the second protesters and pussy series mm-hmm. through someone else you know it was just one of those things that had come yeah, about yeah. um and there was one specifically called Pussy Grabs Back, mm-hmm. which if you remember the pink hats yep. and there was, um, there was, you know, Trump was suddenly president. And, and it almost seems like the innocent days were the worst thing that he had said at the time was mm-hmm. grabbing a woman's pussy because, mm-hmm. you know, he was entitled to. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'd made a poster using, you know, images from the protests, mm-hmm. um, as well as images from a film called Faster Pussycat Kill Kill, and then a um, <laughs> great film. And as well as this little kind of montage, which had, you know, the image of the women um, from Pussy Riot, and it has a picture of like, you know, a woman's arm um, up in, you know, in the We Can Do It, and she's cradling a baby um, yeah. kind of thing. Um, so, uh, Paige and Rajan had, you know, brought this group of women together. And this would have been, I think, early 2016. Mm-hmm. So the full Trump effect hadn't really happened yet. I don't, I think he literally had probably just become president. Right. And um, these are works that I'd made for a, a bespoke show in Covent Garden. And it was amazing. And the term nasty women came from, um, at the time, Trump had referred to any women or any people that support Hillary as nasty women. So it was a perfect title for a, for an art show that was dedicated to women um, and mostly female artists and mostly female political artists. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's all about reclaiming words, isn't mm-hmm. it? And reclaiming their power. Uh, for this series, I used a lot of the works of like quotes from the Situationist International mm-hmm. because a lot of the issues that we seem to be facing now are issues that we are protesting about or people were protesting about in the 1960s which kind of does give yeah. one a moment doesn't yes. it and then Bob Jamin was at the Nasty Woman show and he saw my works there and he then later contacted me because he was putting together a show to highlight the closing of Holloway prison initially wasn't uh, prison for women but what had happened is during the depression um, and during times of austerity um, it was mostly women going to jail for things like stealing bread prostitution to feed their family yeah. so over time petty the, crime, petty, yeah. petty theft and then i think because of how many women it held it became mm. a female prison and then it kind of really rose to fame because that's where the first suffragettes mm. would have been imprisoned as political prisoners mm. so they had slightly more rights than others but obviously over time um 
the prison's notoriety changed. Mm. Um, I think the last woman who, the last hanging happened at Holloway. Oh. Um, and then there's Ruth Ellis. She was, uh, she apparently had killed her lover. It was sensationalized in the press um, because she had this very Hollywood type face. Right. So I was using kind of her image because it was accessible. And the more you read, the more I read about the stories of the prisoners at Holloway, one, many of whom are still alive. I did not want to disrespect any of them or their families. Mm. Um, there's a campaign called Sisters Uncut um, that do a lot of work with um, with protesting, like proper protesting what's happened at Holloway. Because the issue of what happened at Holloway is that these, with the women in Holloway at the time apparently only found out they, the prison was being shut when they saw it on the news. Mm. And a lot of women in Holloway are in prison for like drug-related crimes. Again, petty theft. And then suddenly they're going to be moved like three hours away. Mm -hmm. So if you rely on your family or local mental health services or translators that are in your area, yeah. that puts you in a very a hole at that point. Of, yeah. yeah. There's a young woman there named Sarah Reed who wasn't given proper mental health support and ended up hanging herself in jail. And I think um, at the time that was almost like the final straw and there had been more than one death at Holloway. I was just there as an artist. He'd asked me to make some some bespoke artwork about Holloway. Mm. And uh, and so I did. Charlotte, I want to talk about what you're doing at the moment because sure. I've seen your series, Goat Skull Fallopian Tubes Goddess. Which... Yeah, the goat skulls, I absolutely adore. Um, I really, as a complete 180 to all my colorful stuff, I really have enjoyed doing these monochromatic um, images that I can then highlight with neon. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to continue to do those because I don't really think that I've flushed them out yet. Mm -hmm. um, the series that has the goat skulls on them with the fallopian tubes, yeah. um, which is such a powerful and simple image which carries so much. I love them. Another thing I'm gonna really try to start working on this year is I'm gonna do, I'm gonna go back to large, like large, large scale mm -hmm. again. And I'm calling it drunk ramblings. I've said to myself, and I'm go <laughs> relatable. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go through these sketchbooks. I think there's a lot of power in um, in some of these things that I've that I you know that I've drawn late at night. But I'm going to kind of you know rechange them mm -hmm. and and kind of re give them a strength in a sober light of day. Amazing. That sounds incredible. Where can listeners go to find out more about you and your work and all these projects you've got coming up? I have um, I have a website cwstubs.com. That's c w s t u b b s dot com. Um, I also have a blog where I talk about my process or things that are on my mind, which is www.sinisterpussy.com. And I'll let you figure out the spelling on that one yourself. Um, I'm on Instagram under C-E-W-Stubbs or C-W-Stubbs. I'm on both. And um, I'm in East London and I have a studio here. And um, I'm always up for kind of collaborations and meeting people because I just think, you know, uh, life is what you make it. Absolutely agree with you, Charlotte. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Anna. It's been a real pleasure. Good afternoon, you are listening to Resonance 104.4 FM and this is Art Then and Now. I really hope you enjoy the interview with Charlotte Westmoreland's dub. She really touched upon some important issues and I hope you left feeling a little bit more empowered. I certainly left the interview feeling a little bit more empowered and um, and yeah, it was a really, really thoughtful interview, I thought, and, and she really offered some important 
things to say. So thank you so much, Charlotte. You uh, you impressed me greatly. Now we have a little bit of time for some art in the news, and I do want to talk about David Hockney's painting Splash as um, I have worked with Sotheby's in the past and this is something that I know to be happening. It is expected to fetch between 20 and 30 million at auction in February, on February the 11th in London. 14 years ago it was sold in 2006 for 5.4 million and it set a record at the time actually for Hockney. So it is now expected to make 630% more at the same auction 14 years later and it also comes with a guarantee so it's an incredible incredibly desirable piece sorry and the painting is actually made in 1966 if you just google splash uh, it is created it's a splash basically created by the diver in a swimming pool in California it's a kind of very iconic image for Hockney and I'm sure you'll recognize it if you see it online but Hockney has been dubbed as one of the kings of the pop art movement and his work continues to draw crowds and collectors alike. So we'll see what happens at the auction in February. Now, Christie's have a little gem of their own as well. They have the famous Polish art deco artist Tamara de Lempicka's piece, Portrait de Marjorie Ferry. And that is from 1932, is being put on at auction on the 5th of February and set to make a whopping 8 to 12 million pounds. A previous piece, La Tunique Rose, by the same artist, was sold in Sotheby's this past November and exceeded estimates by quite a lot. So naturally, she is in a very high demand. So look out for that on the 5th of February 2020 at Christie's 2. That is unfortunately all we have got time for this afternoon. Well, no, not even this afternoon, this evening, more like. But Thank you so much for listening to this late broadcast of Art Then Now with me, Anna Gammons. For any of the images discussed on this week's show or to contact the show, please visit the Facebook site at The Art Then Now Show and see you next week at the regular time of 3.30pm on Resonance 104.4 FM. Goodbye. 